Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray this morning as we hear your word, as we have read it together, that indeed your word would read us and challenge and change and comfort us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there really is no easy light uh, way to begin our time together today. How do you feel hearing David's evil? Uh, dismayed? Embarrassed? Horrified? It would be terrible enough if it was just the unfaithfulness of adultery or the taking of another person's life. But it's worse than that. It's a gross abuse of power. A king, given responsibility and authority to carry out that responsibility, using his powers to serve his own ends, to serve his own sensual desires, and to serve covering it up when he's on the point of discovery. And to a point, I'm sorry that we have to read this chapter and the chapters that come next week. I'm sorry that we can't see each other face to face and deal with this word from God together, physically. And I'm sorry that for he- forever, however I may feel when reading these events unfold, there are not just a few among us who have experienced similar abuse. Abuse of power, abuse sexually, abuse in other ways. And let me say, what you have experienced is totally wrong and totally evil. And there is no excuse for it. And I say that to all of us as well. And so if what we've read and what we're going to be talking about today raises issues for you, uh, please talk to someone about it. Get help. Uh, Whether you want to contact me or Louise or one of our leaders uh, or a trusted friend, please do so. Now, I said I am sorry to a point uh, that we have to talk about these things, but there is also a side to them which I'm not sorry that we have to talk about. It's terrible enough that this is a gross abuse of power, but worse still, this is God's king, the king of God's promise, the king who'd been granted every privilege under God, and yet even he performs such evil. But at the same time, that's why we're here today. Uh, because of what these events reveal to us, of what we need to hear here and how they need to shape us. What is that? Well, first, it's about David. While in so many ways he points us to the king and the kingdom we need, what we learn here is it needs someone even greater than him. Second, as we see David's sin unfold, it's actually like looking into a mirror. A mirror which, when we look into it, we see ourselves and our sin. The Lord God put this here so you and I would take a reality check so we'd know ourselves and who we really are without his extraordinary grace. And so we might be beware the enemy within. 
And third, to find in the midst of our sin, when we could mistakenly despair and give up hope, we're here to grasp the mind-blowing grace of God in Jesus. Now, we'll see the first uh, unfolds as we focus on the second and third today. And as you have chapter 11 open in front of you, here is God's warning. Beware of the enemy within. Uh, Now, Dave, Dave Simmons, that is, uh, he's told us before, hasn't he, that footballers watch videos of their opposition play and we know doctors, doctors study the diseases that they're hoping to treat. Uh, And in the same way, we can only understand ourselves and our place in the world if we are alert to our sin within. In fact, we have to come to terms with that reality in the first place, that sin is within each of us. What did Jesus say in Matthew 15? It's not what goes into a person that defiles us, it's what's within us, the sin of our own hearts. And after all the positives of David's rise as king, there's a warning right here from the start of the episode that sin and evil don't happen in a vacuum. Sin ferments in the presence of opportunity. As we read in chapter 11 from verse 1, in the spring at that time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and and they besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, remember in the first place that this is about the real and historical events surrounding David. And what we see is David was meant to be off leading his army, not staying at home in comfort. What he's doing here is a failure to do what he was meant to do to serve his God-given purpose. Well, we might not have a nation to rule, but you and I, we can be sure sin will ferment in the vacuum created by us not meeting our God-given responsibilities. Whether it's our responsibilities in godliness uh, to our home, uh, to our spouse, to our parents, or in godliness to our neighbours at work or our church. Can you think of times of temptation and sin in your life that wouldn't have even been there if you'd been concentrating on the godliness of fulfilling your responsibilities. I know I can, and I bet you can too. Now think about the way opportunity and sin intersect I don't think uh, chapter 12 uh, gives David any excuses, none at all. Uh, He goes to his rooftop and in that part of the world, houses have a flat, hard roof and they make a balcony on it so that you can go up on it. And David's palace is, of course, the highest building in the city so he can see down on the other rooftops. And he sees Bathsheba in her beauty and her nakedness. He could have and he should have looked away and gone downstairs. But he stayed. Then he asked about her and found out found out she was married. And again, he should have put her out of his mind. But he sent for her. And at this point, it's no surprise, he slept with her. 
It clearly wasn't an accident. Uh, no less than three times David could have turned away from his path, but he didn't because he allowed his opportunity and his evil within to bear fruit. I don't think adultery is a strong enough word to describe what David did here. Abuse is. David abused his power and he abused Bathsheba. No matter what she was thinking, he was the king. The the power imbalance is extraordinary. Who has more power than a king? And despite those three opportunities to turn away, David nonetheless forged ahead. But let me warn you, we are no different. We might not be God's king, of course we're not. But given opportunity and our sinful desires, we're as capable of evil as David was himself. Sin takes hold of the power that has been entrusted to each of us to the extent that we have it, and it uses it for self-satisfaction rather than the service of others, given half a chance. If you think you couldn't do what David did, you don't know yourself well enough. Like I said before, David in God's word to us today is like a mirror where when we look into it, we see ourselves. Do you think that you're any better than David? Do you think that with all the Lord gave David, uh, what does he say to him in chapter 12 from verse 7 on? Anointing him as king, delivering him from Saul, granting him to rule over all Israel and Judah. Do you think he wasn't in the best possible place of any person ever to turn away at the first opportunity from sin, if not the second or the third? But he didn't. And that's because without something even more extraordinary taking place, he couldn't. That is how serious sin is. Do not treat it lightly or think of it uh, not as dangerous for you as it was as it unravels here. And do not think that you are above it. We haven't even got to the cover-up. Sin is so insidious. Well, see its wickedness as David tries to cover his tracks, piling sin upon sin, inviting Uriah home and then sending him to his death. Sin deludes. It justifies. It adds lie upon lie. And left unchecked, it leads to death. Now, David, throughout these chapters, has been playing uh, a particular role that we see appear again and again in God's unfolding plans. He is the first among equals. David, as king, leads the people of Israel, where his victory becomes their victory, and the blessing upon him becomes the blessing upon them. But in the same way, and as with Adam in the garden, so too his sin reflects their sin. <laughs> Not just theirs, 
but all of us. We cannot escape it, not by ourselves at least. If you know and trust Jesus as your king, this is the extraordinary depths from which you have been rescued. (laughs) And if you're joining us today and looking on, asking yourself, why is Jesus treated as so incredible and why do we need him to transform our lives? This is the answer. Because of the enormity of our enemy within, it would destroy you given the opportunity. It promises much. Satisfaction, autonomy to do what you want, the freedom to choose, and yet it leads in only one direction. It leads to death. Did you notice David, uh, Nathan's response to David in chapter 12, verse 13? Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. When David recognises he sinned against the Lord, Nathan knows what David's thinking I'm going to die for this. And according to God's word, he should. But he doesn't. Which brings us to chapter 12. Chapter 12 is equally as confronting as uh, chapter 11 because it shows us, it shows us the mind-blowing mercy of God. Chapter 12 comes sometime after David first saw Bathsheba. The child they conceived has now been born and Uriah is dead. And, and as far as David is concerned, nobody knows of his evil. But then the Lord's prophet comes to him and tells him a story. Whether he thought it was a parable or a true story doesn't really matter. David does what David as king and judge is meant to do. And in verse 5, he passes judgment. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. Only to be told, you are the man. Sin can be covered up for a time, but not from the Lord God. The day will always come when we will have to give an account to him and when we'll be outed. And in the words spoken through the prophet, uh, in verse 7 to 10, you can hear the heart-wrenching grief of the betrayal that sin really is. A betrayal of our maker and God himself. It's personal, God tells us here. As the Lord asks in verse 9, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Or or as he describes in verse 10 again, you despised me. And the king over all kings pronounces judgment on David and on his household and on his child with Bathsheba. But he will not die. It's incredible mercy we're seeing here. 
And we're not told at this point how it's possible, only that, verse 14, the Lord has taken away David's sin. Read Psalm 51 and you find there David's completed reality check. He's under no illusions about the enemy within or who he has sinned against, but he relies on the Lord's cleansing. He relies on the sins no longer being before the Lord, his sins no longer before the Lord. He relies on the Lord to transform his heart. The growth group that uh, uh, I'm leading at the moment probably think I sound like a broken record. At around this point, uh, as we're reading the passage, I always say, uh, how does this passage point us to Jesus? Now, the first thing that we always say is always state the obvious. It might be obvious, but it still needs to be stated. So each time David appears in 2 Samuel, you can say, well, David is God's anointed king and Jesus is God's anointed king. So what we see in David helps us see Jesus. But whereas in uh, the previous cases, it's been a comparison, hasn't it? In this case, it's an incredible contrast. Jesus does not sin as we do and as David did. Instead, this time, David is representative of each of us in our sin. It's the human dimension with the enemy within that's on focus. And so he reveals as these events unfold, he is human like us, yes, but we need a king who is extraordinarily different to us. We need a king who can lead and rescue us because he is without sin, because he is God himself. We're going to be hearing God's word from Hebrews next term, uh, but how's this for a taster in Hebrews 4, talking about Jesus from verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. The right way to respond then? Recognition and repentance. The word of God outed David's sin and he recognised his sin. In Psalm 51, you can read of both his recognition and repentance too. In fact, if you get to the end of chapter 12, you can see that the way he began staying away from the, the battle that he was meant to lead, he returns to and meets his responsibility all the signs of repentance. And mercifully, God offers him forgiveness. And it's striking, isn't it? Uh, just how far God's forgiveness extends, forgiving such a heinous abuse of power, uh, forgiving David's sexual sin and murder, and sin the enemy uh, within us might pipe up and say, I'm not as bad as David, I haven't done what he did. Or worse still, it might pipe up and say, "What? Well, no, I have done worse. What I have done, God could never forgive. We have treated the Lord the same way. It's personal. 
We received every good thing from him, yet despised his word and do what is evil in his eyes. We despise him. But as we need the forgiveness David depended on too, we can confidently receive it. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done, This is the forgiveness that only the one sinned against can offer. Where his word outs our sin. And accountability is a reality we all have to face. But so too, the depth of God's mercy. Reading from Hebrews 4 verse 15 again. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses... But we have one who has been tempted in every way, yet just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus, the son of David, Jesus, the one greater than David, Jesus has won us that mercy. I mentioned our growth group before and understanding a passage and our question, how does this point us to Jesus? The next question to ask is, now we're united to Jesus, what does this mean for us? And if you don't trust Jesus, well, uh, the take home for you today first is you need to. Only he can overcome the power of sin by his cross and resurrection. You don't want to try and deal with this and its consequences yourself. And if you do trust him, well, trust him to take away your sin but repent of your sin as well. It's personal. We who trust him live in the strength of his power, both to resist sin and the opportunities which will ferment them. And when we fail, which we will until Jesus returns, to throw ourselves again on his mercy and find that it is able to meet that great need. It's the mercy of sin taken away. It's the mercy that we can walk in each day. It's the mind-blowing mercy of God. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, your word is powerful and just and wonderful. Even as we hear of the dire circumstances in which we live and the enemy of sin within, we praise and thank you that you have met that, our greatest need, that you have overpowered sin and death, that that is Jesus' victory. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, work that out, we pray, as we walk in your mercy each day.
Grant us the eyes to see the opportunities to sin that we should run away from. Turn out the desires of our heart that would seek those opportunities instead towards you and godliness. And we pray, Heavenly Father, grant us the lips to sing your praises to each other and others this day of the mercy we have found in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.